Well, amen. Again, thank you, band. If you will, uh, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 20. That's where we'll be today. Uh, again, thank you, Blake, for last week and uh, leading us through the Lord's Prayer. That was really a good time for me as I was away and watching online like many of you are doing today. A uh, good time to just go through the Lord's Prayer. And uh, a good, it's a good exercise for you to do on a regular basis. If you don't, take the Lord's Prayer as not just to repeat the words, but use it what it's intended for as a model prayer. Jesus says, pray like this when you pray. So uh, it's a, it was a great time uh, for us as a church family, uh, for me personally, and I hope for you as well. Uh, just a quick update on me. Uh, many of you have asked and are wondering how I am. I am I'm, I'm tracking along with my kidney disease. Uh, they have installed a PD catheter. I won't show you all of what's going on here under the shirt right now. Uh, amen. Yep. That's, everybody's waving their hands. Very happy about that. Uh, but we, uh, we got that installed. Uh, I'll start dialysis actually on the 17th, uh, which will be in another week. Uh, and they'll do that until uh, the transplant happens. And so uh, I've been reported that there's a couple of donors for me, and I'm so thankful that uh, the Lord's been very gracious in providing a couple of donors for me. And so they're being worked up right now to make sure they're going to be a total match. And from there, we'll see, hopefully, that a transplant will happen within the next 60 days. And, and so to God be the glory for all those kinds of things and for the technology of being able to have dialysis and, and the ability to keep me alive, uh, even when I don't have a kidney yet, is yet ready. So thank you, Lord, for that. I'm thankful for you and all your prayers and your encouragement. And for those of you who've been willing to go, hey, I'll see if I'm a match. Uh, there's been an outpouring of you who've been willing to do that. So thank you. Uh, from I, I, That seems paltry words uh, to say to you, but thank you for being willing to do that very thing for me. Uh, so we'll see what God's got in store ahead, right? Uh, and so we'll, we'll just look forward to what lies ahead for us. Genesis chapter 20, uh, we'll pick up in verse one so you can follow along with me in your Bibles or on the screen. The words will be here. Here they are in verse one. Here's what the text says. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the, of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have been taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother, in the integrity of my heart, and the and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So, Abimelech rose early in the morning, wise move, and called to his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you've brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there was no fear of God at all in any of this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. 
And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is, the ki- this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place where we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, behold, I've given you your... Br- I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver and is a sign of innocence to the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had caused all the wombs of the house of Abimelech, for for the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So let's pray and we'll dive into the text. God, we love you. We need you. Holy Spirit, we desperately need you today to help us as we dive into Old Testament texts that may seem kind of strange to us and weird to us and all kind of things that aren't necessarily like the way we talk, the way we do things in 2020. Help us to understand, open our eyes to your text and to you, Holy Spirit, of what you want to teach each of us collectively and individually today. Do a good work here today, God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so um, Genesis 20 starts in this kind of very nondescript manner. Here's what it says, from there. Two words, from there. That, that, that's how it starts. And so the question becomes, from what? Uh, uh, from there means from what? And, and so we have to think back to uh, the whole chapters before this. This has been quite the trek from Genesis 12 to Genesis 19. I mean, the chapter, this, this eight-chapter story uh, is this dichotomy of choices between the, the, uh, between the choices in the lives of Abraham and Lot. So let's kind of review those and see what happened in these last, uh, these last few verses. So back at the beginning of this saga, Lot chooses this flourishing, beautiful, lush Jordan Valley all for himself. And honestly, then the text tells us that he is progressively absorbed into it. It just kind of sucks him in. Uh, it, it sucks him into the deep recesses and, and the dark decisions in a dark cave that he ends up uh, making some really bad decisions. Heath preached about that on one Sunday. I finished it up a couple of Sundays ago in Genesis chapter 19. And go back again, we believe that's one of the darkest chapters in the entire Bible. And then Abraham, despite some really bad decisions along the way, like when he passed off uh, Sarah as his just plain sister to, to Pharaoh, he's like, hey, she's my sister. And so, so he just kind of passes her off that way. And, and then yada, 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 you know, the whole thing with Hagar, the Hagar affair. Um, uh, that, that He just seems to grow even more prominent despite those two kind of follies in his story. I mean, he, if you think back to Abraham's uh, life, he builds an altar in the land when he gets there. So he's like, hey, uh, God has given us this and I'm gonna make an altar and I wanna build an altar so that we can worship God. And he gives Lot his choice of the land. He said, you can either go this way and I'll go that way. And, and so whichever way you choose, I'll choose the other. Uh, he rescues Lot from this invading king that had come into the land. He meets with Melchizedek and receives the blessing from Melchizedek. Um, and so he, um, uh, from there, he uh, believes the Lord's promise that a son will be born to him and Sarah. Uh, he believes that his offspring will be like the stars of the sky or the sand near the ocean. 
Uh, he witnesses God passing through uh, the, the open carcass of some sacrificial animals. And Pastor Paul preached on that a few weeks back and did a beautiful job. There's some beautiful pictures in that of the sacrificial system and, and God's covenant, uh, his one-way covenant with us. Um, he understood uh, and it, that that really was a beautiful picture. And then you get into the next piece of it. Uh, you get into circumcision where Lot has to, I mean, uh, Abraham has to circumcise all his people. That is not a beautiful picture. Uh, then he, um, he had his name changed with Sarai. Uh, he passionately pleads for the saving of Sodom. And then uh, Abraham uh, pleads with saving Lot from God's wrath. And so that's what's been happening in the story uh, so far. And all this, uh, Abraham emerges as this huge character, this huge man of faith. And honestly, who could argue with that record? I mean, when you go back and you think about it, who could argue with the record that we just saw in Genesis? And so with all that in the background, chapter 20 starts with the two words, from there. So let's pick up and see what from there actually means. So verse, verse one says this, from there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned, sojourned in Gerar. And so this is after the destruction of Sodom and the Dead Sea cities. And then you get to verse two, and something seemed to go crazy or kind of get in the ditch in verse, uh, in Gerar. It's what it says in verse two. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So are we still in Genesis chapter 12? Because the same thing happened in Genesis chapter 12. It's really a repeat of the same situation. And it's just kind of weird to me. I think it was weird in Genesis chapter 12. I know we talk about that he is technically his sister, but he's married to her. And all that's just a little bit strange to me today. Uh, and it doesn't really seem like something that a biblical patriarch would do. You know what I'm saying? That would be deceptive and kind of save his own skin. It doesn't seem like we would think of, hey, this is what I want my biblical patriarch to do. Just tell a little bit of lie here and there to save his own skin. I mean, back in chapter 12, we know what the motivation was for what he said, right? The motivation for this rather odd act is fear. He was just fearful. And it makes him do crazy things in our text in chapter 12, makes him do some crazy things here in 19. But back in chapter 12, this is what Abraham said. He said, I know what a beautiful woman you are. If the Egyptians see you and think she is his wife, they will kill me and let you live. Please say that you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that I may remain alive thanks to you. Do you hear the way that's written? Abraham was saving his own rear by serving up his wife. Saving his own rear by serving up his wife. Look what he said in 12. He said, please say that you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that I may remain alive thanks to you. That's what he did in Genesis chapter 12. And then years later, as we get into Genesis chapter 19, we see Abraham involved in the same old sin, the same old pattern that he found himself in that he was before. Back whenever he did this in the early part of Genesis chapter 12, uh, there were just four words in the Hebrew language that came out uh, whenever the king found out that this was not Abraham's just sister, that this was Abraham's wife. Here's what, here, here were the four words, here, wife, take, go, okay? Here, wife, take, 
go. There's also another Hebrew word for that. It's, it, say this with me. Get out of here. Get out of here. Wait, no, no, no. That's not a Hebrew word. That's a North Mississippi word. Uh, but it means the same thing. It means you, you got to go. You got to go. I need you and your wife and everything about y'all to get on out of here. Uh, and, and so the question becomes, though, in light of all that, what happens in Gerar? Really, what kind of went off the rails in Gerar whenever uh, Abraham and his wife were there? And, and honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we know the answer to that. And that's this, that there are certain old sins to which each of us are uniquely susceptible. Okay. There are certain old sins to which each of us are uniquely susceptible. You might want to write that down because we're going to kind of come back to that in, in a little bit because that applies to you, it applies to me, it applies to all of us. Anybody listening to this right now, it applies to all of us. What's happening to Abraham actually applies uh, to all of us. He, Hebrews chapter 12 describes it as sins which cling so closely. Sins which cling so closely. I mean, we all have them. We, we all know that they they, they exist within our own lives. They exist within other people's lives. Sins that appeal to others may not appeal to you, uh, but sins that don't seem uh, uh, that to affect others are actually deadly to you and me. And, and so that, that varies from person to person. And Abraham's clinging sin when he was pressed in some situations was this, that he trusted himself rather than trust God. He trusted himself rather than God. He thought he was smarter he thought he was more wise. He trusted himself rather than trust God. Now, Abraham believed the big promise. I mean, anybody can believe big promises, right? Anybody can believe those. But remember, Hebrews also tells us that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he believed the big promises. But in some circumstances, Abraham decided I got this. I got this. I, I can do it on my own. And in many of those circumstances, he decides to help out the situation with a little bit of a lie. He just doesn't tell the truth. He just lies. How many times are we just like Abraham? How many times are you just like Abraham. Oswald Chambers wrote this about self-trust. Here's what he says. God can achieve his purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and resources. So God chooses to use us whenever we give ourselves up. Okay? He chooses to use us whenever we don't try to do it on our own power. Whenever we don't think we got this, whenever we think we've got this, the power of God doesn't seem to reside on us. Whenever we go, I can't do this on my own. 
I can't lead this on my own. I can't accomplish what it is that you want me to do on my own. I desperately need you. That's when the power of God rests on us. And he, 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 he allows us to do the things that he calls us to do. He actually not only allows us, but empowers us to do the things that he calls us to do. That's the beauty of the power of God in each of our lives. Even when we think God is not working, because of the circumstances around us, we know this, right? God is working, he's still working. God is working on me. Sing with me, come on. God is working, he's still working. God is working on me. All right, all right we're going to keep going. One of my favorite shows to watch uh, is Intervention. Anybody watch that show? I love to watch Intervention. Uh, it's a show about people who have destroyed their lives. And they literally just destroyed their lives. They made terrible decisions. They usually dove headfirst into alcohol or drugs or sexual abuse. And, and their families choose to have an intervention to try to really rescue them, to try to save their lives. Uh, their families, in, they, they have an intervention. And it's usually ugly. And it's, there's usually a lot of just, you know, emotion that's involved in it. But most of the time, people respond to the intervention. Most of the time, people do want to be helped. If you find yourself in some kind of situation, the reality is most people want help to get out of it when it gets down to it. And Genesis 20, this is kind of a, uh, uh, this is God's intervention here in Genesis chapter 20. Look what it says in verse, verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she, him, she herself said, he is my brother. And in, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. I love that. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. And so what we know about looking back into biblical history is that God made this irrevocable covenant with Abraham, and that one that couldn't be broken. And so God wasn't going to allow somebody to mess up that story. Remember that? We studied about, we studied about that. And we, we've already preached through that. And so God made an irrevocable covenant. And no matter what happened since then, nothing was going to mess that up. No matter how bad Abraham lied or how bad the situation was around him, they just weren't going to mess that up. And so uh, God had promised to come back in a year. Remember, the text told us that he said, I'm going to come back in a year and I'm gonna, we're going to talk about this baby that you're going to have, Sarah. And, and so God wouldn't allow Sarah in the arms of another man. And so, so we get to two beautiful words in a text, two beautiful words that, that are just, I, I think, some of the greatest in the text in verse three, and it's these two words. You know them here, Refuge, but God right? These are two beautiful words in the text. Anytime you find them in a text, you ought to circle them. You know what you ought to get out whenever you get them? A tambourine. Whenever you see it, but God, you should get out a tambourine and have it close by because that's a tambourine moment. I mean, many of you know these words. Many of you have experienced these words, and many of you live out these words today, but God, right? Tambourines. Uh, speaking of tambourines, 
Uh, so I, you know me, I love to pull out a tambourine whenever it's a tambourine moment in the text. And so someone, uh, uh, Sam Arnold, whenever she was decorating my office, uh, put me my own tambourine wall in a picture. On, this is in my office now. So there are four tambourines. So if you're looking at those, the one on the top left, it is for general use. That's what it says in the little tag, and it's for general use. The one on the top right, that's the one, if you can't tell, that's a dove flying above a Bible. That is when I'm feeling charismatic. Uh, the small one on the bottom left is for traveling, and, uh, the, and the cowbell on the bottom right is to summon the saints. Uh, so... <laughs> So that's what happens in my office. So if any of those happen, you know exactly what to do uh, going, for, uh, going forward. So I love my uh, tambourine display. But God, when you find that, that is always, say always, always, always a tambourine moment. But God. All right, there we go. <clears throat> so God came suddenly to Abimelech in, in this dream with these shocking words. And really, this is the translation. He says, you a dead man if you take another man's wife. You a dead man if you take another man's wife. And Abimelech was like, hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa slow down. Uh, can we talk about this? Uh, uh, can, can we talk through this? He said, uh, would you kill an innocent man? He said, I, I haven't done anything yet. I haven't touched her yet. Uh, did, did he not tell me that, that he was her sister or that she was his sister? And, and then that, that he said that I'm her brother. And, and then in verse five, he says this, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, have I done this? And then God responds to Abimelech in verse six and says this. God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Again, I don't know if you're a writer in your Bible, but you should underline verse six. That's one of those, uh, one of those uh, things that you just need to go back to and reference. This is God at work. This is God is the one who is uh, uh, moving here. And he said, I didn't let this happen to you. I love verses like this in the Bible. He said, I, it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. This is God's plan. God's plan, right? This is his plan, and he is working his plan out. God sets a plan in motion. God orchestrates the players, no matter who they are. Uh, God chooses the setting. God rules the king. This is God's plan, God's plan, and he is making it happen. Um, so I want you to take comfort in that, church, that God always has a plan. No matter what the circumstances may look like around you right now, no matter what may be playing out around you right now, as we live in an absolutely topsy-turvy world today, I mean, we've got coronavirus going on, we've got civil unrest going on, we've got racial tensions that are at a high peak for us, at least in some of our lifetimes. We're wearing masks into banks how strange is that? Uh, they tell you to do that. Put on a mask before you come into the bank. Uh, it's just a crazy world out there. But I want you to take comfort, church, because this truth is true, that God is still running his show. Okay? God is still running his show. Doesn't matter what it may look like around you, that God is still running his show. The grand narrative is still being written out from our perspective, so we get to live it out every day. But the reality is God knows the ends from the beginnings. God already exists out there past us in time to be. But so God already knows the ends from the beginnings, and he is running his show it was true with this situation with Abraham and Abimelech, or Abe and Abe as I like to call them. Uh, 
It was true in, in their story, and it's true today for you and me. God is running his show, and, and so I want you to celebrate that. That's a, that's a moment that I need you to just kind of sit on for a second and go, God is always running. Story continues in, verse, uh, in chapter 20, verse 8. This is what the text says. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called on his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us, and how have I sinned against you that you've brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You've done, you have done to me things that ought not to be done. Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this to me? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God. There's no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness that you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say, to, say of me, he is my brother." And so Abimelech says, Abraham, what gives? What are you trying to do here? What are you doing to me? What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here uh, that you are doing this thing and causing these things to happen? And you have, uh, you've brought things on us that ought not to be done. Uh, you, you're causing God to do some things that just shouldn't happen to us. Why in the world to do this? And and Abraham basically responded by saying, I was afraid. I was afraid. But why was he afraid? I think he was afraid because he didn't know Abimelech. He assumed the things that Abimelech would be, like he would be. He made some assumptions in his head about, well, this is, I'm sure, the way that Abimelech would be because he's a king and I'm sure he's going to be a certain way. So I'm just going to assume he's just like every other king that I've built up in my head. Whenever we don't know something about somebody else, what do we do? We assume. Whenever we don't take time to get to know someone, what do we do? We assume. Whenever we don't make an effort to get to know someone or really know what makes somebody tick or why somebody acts or reacts the way that they do, what do we do? We assume. And when Abraham assumed these things about the king, he went back to that besetting sin that clung so close to him. He just lied. He didn't tell the whole truth. He didn't tell the whole truth. Lot's story in the previous chapter was this, I mean, it was obviously a very sobering story. He clung to the world. He clung to the city in which he was in. He barely got out with his own life, and, but he was, he was trying to hang on to it for dear life. And, and when Abraham allows this besetting sin, this, this deceptiveness, this lying, not telling the full story, not telling the whole truth, when you tell the whole truth, you know, you're, you're telling the lie if you don't tell the whole truth, right? Both of their stories, both Abraham and, and Lot's stories are warnings to us in our life of faith. Both, both are warning shots across our bow that we need to be uh, that we need to make sure that we're paying attention to me. L listen closely, church, to this. It's entirely possible for the righteous through their sins to nullify their witness to the world. 
It's entirely possible for the righteous through their sins to nullify their witness to the world. Either it can happen permanently as it did with Lot or temporarily as it did with Abraham. Uh, And so the thing is, how you live matters. How you live your life matters. What you say matters. The words that come out of your mouth matter from day to day and from time to time and from situation to situation. All that matters. We need to take heed, church, because this was written down for us, for warnings for us. As those warning flags along the way, as those bumpers along the road whenever you're about to run into the ditch, these were written down for us as warning shots for us. Don't miss things like this, church. We need to learn from not only Lot, but we need to learn from Abraham as well. Learn from both these people. Don't allow the sin in your life to nullify the witness of being redeemed. The salvation that is found only in Jesus, don't allow that to disappear with the sinful acts that so easily beset us. The story goes on, and honestly, it's the best part of the story so far because it's filled with grace. Look look with, with me in verse 14. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign to your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And behold, everyone, uh, behold, everyone, you Before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and behold, God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. Here's what Abraham graciously received in return for his great deception. He received sheep, oxen, female servants, land, thousand pieces of silver. So even being deceptive like he was, He got all this reward. Abraham's foolishness was met by this amazing grace, right? His foolishness was met by amazing grace. That's whenever Abraham wrote the song, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a fool like me. No, he didn't write that song. Uh, John Newton wrote that song back in the 1700s. That's a John Newton song. But he was met by amazing grace. Amazing grace existed in Abraham's days because we see it exhibited right here. The power of God was on display even in Abraham's folly. Honestly, I think it was maybe a wink to Sarah because at the end he's like, hey, these people are going to have babies. These are going to open their wombs. I think it was a wink to Sarah to go, remember what I told you? Remember what's going to happen in a year? It's coming. It's coming. So be encouraged because that baby I told you is coming, it's coming. So we get to this. So what, right? What do you do with this text? What do you do with with, uh, sometimes stuff that we don't understand or uh, dreams that come and God appearing in dreams? And what do we do with these things? The thing, the truth is we know that most of us are like Abraham. Most of us 
are like Abraham in this text. We, we make up stories in our heads. We, we make up our own version of stories in our heads. Uh, we, we try to make sense of things to replace the fears that we have in our heads, the, the, the things that we're currently facing. We wanna kind of make up our own narrative uh, to be what it means. And, and, and really it's called saving ourselves. We do anything in the world to save ourselves and not to have to depend on, a, on another. We like to leave God out of the equation and do it ourselves. The patriarchs did it, and, and uh, I do it, and, and you do it, and, and so we ourselves are consistently inconsistent. We're just consistently inconsistent. I, I want to be consistent. I, I really, really want to be consistent, but the truth is, we're just consistently inconsistent if we're honest about our own faith walk. The good news is this, that God is not stumped by some evil world, okay? He's not thrown off by some evil world. He's not perplexed by anything that's going on around us Today, he is, he's not confused by an evil world and all the things that happened in Abraham's day, and he's not confused by all those things that are happened uh, to, to us today. We, sh we shouldn't be so afraid about the evil world that is around us today. And so the great question is really not what's wrong with the world, but where's all the salt and light? Not what's wrong with the world. We know there's things that are wrong with the world, but where is all the salt and light? Abraham lost his salt and light because of his lies, because he just couldn't tell the whole truth, because he was trying to save his own can. The question is, have the circumstances of the world caused you to lose your salt and light? And if so, now may it be a good time for repentance. Now may it be a good time to go, God, this is the place that I haven't trusted you. This is the place that I don't have it. Uh, put my faith in you that I'm trying to go it alone, that I'm trying to do my own thing. I'm trying to go my own way. And God, I don't want to do that anymore. And I want to confess to you those very things. It's a great time for repentance. Don't be stumped or fooled or deceived by the world around us. God certainly is not. Secondly, God's not only not stumped by an evil world, but God doesn't gasp in amazement at the depth of our faith or our failures. He's not amazed at how great your faith is or how monumental your failures are. He's not shocked at that. He does, it doesn't take his breath away at either one of those very things. God knows the condition of this world. God knows the condition of your specific heart. He knows if you're fickle. He knows if your heart kind of blows with the wind. He knows if you're full of folly. He knows if you just blow left and right or if you just kind of follow with whatever the world comes around you. He knows that he knows about your failures. He knows about the failures that no one else knows about. And he knows when you're full of faith. He knows all those very things. So he doesn't gasp in amazement whenever you've got so much faith. And he doesn't shake his head whenever you do something stupid. God knows your unique sins. I hope you've written them down. I hope you'll pray over them. I hope you'll ask for help about them. I hope you'll ask God to help you with them. I hope you'll ask one another to help you with the way you might sin today. 
Be with people. Ask for help. Then believe God to continue to do a good work that he started in you, that he'll bring that to completion. He's going to. He said he would. And then know this, that God intervenes to accomplish his goodwill. God intervenes to accomplish his goodwill. God did it in this text. He, he didn't allow Abimelech to, to touch Sarah. He didn't allow Abimelech to destroy Abraham. So both of those should have and could have happened in our text today, but he didn't allow either of those to happen. He caused Abimelech to be generous and bless Abraham despite his deception. God had a plan then, and God has a plan today. Even with jacked up people like Abraham and jacked up people like you and me, we've heard this said before that God could still draw a straight line with a crooked stick, right? Yeah. He can, and we're a bunch of crooked sticks in this, in this room. He can draw a straight line with a crooked stick, not because of us, because of Jesus, right? Because of the righteousness of Jesus, because of the one who lives in us, because of the spirit of God that fills us. He can do those things he can still do those things, not because of our goodness, because of the righteousness that's been imputed to us. And so for some of you today, God's plan is to be exposed in your folly. That kind of seems to be an ongoing uh, uh, refrain throughout this whole text, throughout these, these, few cha- these eight chapters we've been studying, is to be exposed in your own folly and to put it to death. This is the last time we'll see Abraham really fighting that very thing or, or, or fighting the way his, his way through. Uh, uh, but maybe it's your day to be exposed in your folly so you can finally put it to death. What is that with you? What is the folly that you keep finding yourself in? So today, put it to death. Or maybe it's the time for you to be expressive of your besetting sin. Maybe you know what your besetting sin is. Maybe it's not your folly, but it's your sin. And it's your sin that you need to express to God. You need to say, God, clearly this is the sin in my life. This is the one I keep going back to. This is the one I keep just, I can't seem to get rid of. And today, you need to be expressive of that. Abraham one had one. He was lying. He wasn't telling the full truth. He wanted to be deceptive. He wanted to serve up his wife on a platter just to save his own rear end. And so whatever that is for you, I want to encourage you to share it, to confess it, to to, to just declare it before God and go, God, this is the sin that I cannot seem to get out of. Will you please forgive me? So be expressive of your besetting sin. And then lastly, Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Why? Because God is working. He's still working. God is working on me. Sing it. You know, sing it with me. God is working. He's still working. God is working on me. Yeah, he's working on you. Be encouraged in that church. 
Be encouraged that the God of the universe is actually at work shaping and forming you and conforming you into the image of his son. He did it then. He, he is, he, that's what this text is about. He is shaping and forming. All these stories are shaping and forming Abraham. And so he did it in the text. He did it in the New Testament as we read that. He shaped and conformed and formed people into the image of his son. And then he did it and he's doing that in my life. He is shaping me and forming me and conforming me into the image of Jesus. He's doing that in your some of your lives. He is shaping and forming and conforming you into the image of Jesus. And some of you, he needs to begin to do that today. And if you sense uh, uh, God at work in your life, let's talk. Maybe you need help. Maybe you go, I need you to pray for me, preacher. Or I need some people to show me the way. I need someone to disciple me. I need someone to help me along the way. I need someone to show me the ropes, to show me what the next steps are, or how do I, how do I follow Jesus well? then let's talk and let's pray for you. Let us do those very things because uh, let, I would just say that let this text and let this church and let these people be an encouragement in your walk with Jesus today. If you don't know Jesus, it is our hope that you do it's our hope that today might be your day of repentance. Your day might be today, the day that you kind of put those things aside. The, the, the good news is, is they had to do a lot of these things on their own. They had to kind of come to faith in their own to see God at work with their eyes. Now, now, now the fulfillment of their faith has come. Jesus has now come. Jesus has now come. The one who they preached about, the one who was to come, the Savior of the world who was to come, has now come. His name is Jesus, and he has come and lived that sinless life that you and I can't live. He died on a cross the death that you and I deserve to die. And the Bible says that he was raised from the dead three days later. The scripture says, whenever we put our faith and trust, not in our own righteousness, but in his, then we will be saved. And some of you need that today. If we can help you in that, it'd be our joy to get to pray with you, open the scriptures up and say, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Or maybe you just need some help along the way. You, maybe you say, I'm already a follower of Jesus, but I don't know what to do next. It'd be our joy in that as well. Either way, you let us know how we can serve you. You pray with me now. God, we love you. We desperately.